0: Hello and welcome to Architecture Insights, the podcast series produced by the New South Wales Architects Registration Board. My name is Byron Kenned, and I'll be your host for today as we once again revisit Agency, the 2017 Australasian Students of Architecture Congress that was held in Sydney late last year. In this episode, we present to you a supercut of Agency, a glimpse into the three days of wide-ranging, challenging and fascinating talks, workshops and exhibitions. To do this, we're going to move through the Congress from day one, based at the University of New South Wales, to the University of Sydney on day two for workshops and a keynote session themed makers, and finally to the University of Technology Sydney on day three for the session called Catalyze, that really brought out the big guns and Jeremy Till, the Dean of Central St Martins in London, and Yoshiharu Tsukamoto of Atelier Bow Wow. So let's dive into the first morning of Congress where myself and Barnaby Bennett presented some of the stories from previous student conferences that you would have heard in the last episode of Architecture Insights. And then it led to a fascinating and quite surprising session from a London-based developer of housing called Pocket Living, coupled with a business-savvy talk from Claire Soudon of Acom here in Sydney. Congress is great because it always manages to throw you off balance and to launch into the practice and business of architecture this way was such a refreshing start. It challenges the idea that these student gatherings are going to be somehow hopelessly idealistic or naive. The organizers really set the bar for the Congress to grapple with urgent and relevant issues for the profession. Streamed in from London, Pocket Living demonstrated how innovative multi residential development had actually managed to influence, if not lead, regulation of the sector, when governments were more likely to be property speculators in this scenario. It was fascinating and provides some valuable intelligence that New South Wales should really be looking at. Claire Souden summarised her agenda succinctly with 11 tips for young architects getting into business. I'll hand over to her to take us through them.
1: So the first thing is, differentiate. In a crowded marketplace, be different. So bleedingly obvious, but in architecture, we tend to socialize amongst one one another and we tend to shoot for design awards and that's all great stuff to shoot for. But think about it from someone else's perspective, whether that's the end consumer's perspective or your potential client. What do they want to see and how are you unique? And that might be something as simple as um, thinking about a problem differently, some experience you have or perhaps it's something along kind of gender or other lines. These things are advantages in business, so I would recommend whatever your advantage is around differentiation, just get on with that and and make it happen. I would also recommend thinking beyond capital A architecture. So being an architectural professional is one of the most rewarding things you can do. I think from a happiness perspective, all of my architectural friends are really, really happy and fulfilled people. Uh, I wouldn't say the same for my development cohort friends. So anytime you can, getting beyond architecture is only going to help you as an architect. And that segues into the third point, which is to engage with the world that architecture operates within. So don't turn your back on things like finance and capital markets and all that mumbo-jumbo that kind of takes place in the business school. It's actually interesting and it's incredibly relevant to architecture. And your success as an architect, if you can understand and master some of these concepts, will be much better than your peers. And it will allow you to, I guess, tick off point one, which is differentiation. Number four, really practical one, read the business pages. It's one of the easiest ways, if you do this every single day, it might be like initially like gouging your eyes out, but you will learn a lot. You'll learn a lot about politics, about the law, about tax, about finance, all this stuff you never knew you wanted to know. Um, Use plain English. I think one of the things that tripped me up when I graduated from architecture school was kind of archi jargon, and your ability to communicate clearly with other people who haven't kind of grown up in those spheres is going to also help you uh, be successful. Number six, really obvious take every opportunity. I, I just cannot tell you the amazing stuff that comes from putting yourself out there in places where you never thought you would go. it sounds really trite but incredibly true. Um, socialize outside of architecture. Your clients aren't going to be your architectural mates. You're young, take risks, that's obvious. Nine, be humble. Humility isn't something that architecture as a profession has a really good um, reputation for. So I think some of the best architects in Sydney today are incredibly humble and I would highly advocate that uh, being a humble designer will help you. Number 10, surround yourself with people who are smarter and different from you. Architects and accountants make good partnerships and there are many of the big property companies that have started through these fairly unique and seemingly incongruous unions. And then number 11, unavoidable, work hard.
0: So there you have it, a quick guide to success, and I expect it's not just students who should be rethinking their practice based on that advice. From here, we'll jump to Karen Wong and Emma Williamson, previously of CODA Studio, and now directors of Cox based in Perth. Here we got our first glimpse of an architectural practice reflecting on its agency, and Emma gave a succinct summary of the ideas and tactics that they have employed in their practice to date.
2: and that is that it suggests for us that what we do collectively is greater than what we can do as individuals. That through our conscious actions, we can make a positive difference. We consider agency to be an outward action, the architect and the contribution to the world, and we consider it as an inward action, the architecture and the contribution to the profession. We also wanted to enjoy the process. To do this, we focused on our studio culture, And the relationships that we built up with our clients, our sub consultants, and our contractors. We wanted to be generous. We believe that each project should look for ways to find opportunities for generosity, and we would look for opportunities to be generous to others within our practice, within our profession, and within our community. We wanted to be useful. We wanted to do work that was useful to many rather than to a few. And this word helped us to cement our decision to consciously move away from single residential housing. And we wanted to be stealthy. We decided that we wanted to be a part of the conversation earlier rather than later. We would look closely at the lie of the land and think of ways to be influential. We would think of ourselves as problem solvers. To be part of the early decision making, we had to learn new skills. We had to be agile and we had to stop thinking about buildings and start thinking
0: about the built environment of all of then presented a complex project on the Groot Island archipelago that the practice had been working on for some time in a range of capacities. He reflected how agency was actually a key factor in this process.
3: We're less interested in the final outcome of the process uh, and more interested in the positioning of practice towards an agency of action. Um, and in, in this sense, I think. And, and perhaps a kind of the ultimate embodiment um, of, of, the, of the four words that we spoke about before. And it's challenged many staff in our office um, who've worked on it emotionally and intellectually. And I think it's, it's, it's brought about a conversation in particular um, within the practice uh, that I don't think we'd ever, ever thought about um, occurring. In some respects, I remember who the speaker was, who was talking about it before, about the role of architecture and then the role of society Um, and somehow there's like two different planes. Uh, I think that that's possibly true in the sense that architects shouldn't sort of reach beyond their means. But I also think that we need to have a civic position in the way in which we practice. Um, And that that civic position needs to have some kind of very um, clear understanding about the why.
0: This was something we would hear again and again through the Congress. Are we thinking critically about the motives behind our practice and the impacts of our practice on the communities we serve? So what are the ways we can engage, maybe outside the normal sphere of what we might think of as practice?
2: So, what does this mean for you? In reality, relatively few people will have the opportunity to work in remote housing and for many, the greater good on projects cannot easily be seen. Rather than look at this as a point of failure or disappointment, we would urge you to think of the opportunities for generosity in every project, no matter what it is. To think of ways that you can be generous with people that you work with, and think of ways that you can continue to engage in the profession that will help architecture continue to evolve.
0: Tim Horton, the Registrar here at the New South Wales Architects Registration Board, assembled for the next session a panel that was set to reveal an insider view on how policy gets made, the dark matter of regulation and planning policy, to at least get an introduction to the imperfect art of politics. Though the session was held under Chatham House rules, I wanted to share the advice to students from Geoff Gallup, the former Premier of Western Australia and now Professor and Director of the Graduate School of Government at the University of Sydney.
4: know about the connection between the different parts of the city in terms of transport and mobility. Bring evidence in. So, you know, we either look at politics down in the valley where everything's going on, or we look at it in terms of the top of the hill where we're looking down and trying to make sense of it all. And the truth is we're going to need both because politics is an ongoing necessity if we're to uh, understand Human beings, I think it, there will always be politics uh, in in our society. That work hard to, to make it deliver for the public interest, I think, would be the sort of concept of agency that I would throw out to you.
0: That was Geoff Gallup on the public service of politics and of architecture. We may hear more from this conversation in the future, but now we will head to the international scene to hear from Julie Eisenberg from the LA practice Koning Eisenberg, and then to Peter Rich, based in Johannesburg. Through a range of projects, Julie presented a pragmatic and highly engaged approach to practice that found agency by meaningfully engaging with housing policy, neighborhood fabric, and an intimate knowledge of communities. This was about radical engagement.
1: Um, You want to talk about how you get involved and change policy? Get on planning commissions, architects' review boards, work in government, a um, big influencer in my life was uh, Evan Walker, who was a parliamentarian in Victoria. He was an architect and he went into, into government and he did great things with his creative knowledge and what the possibilities would be. Being an architect isn't sitting always in, in this sort of one, one role. There are so many roles for architects these days, it's fantastic.
0: This radical engagement with policy and regulation was emerging as a key theme for the day. And as Julie pointed out, this is almost essential when you work in a place like Santa Monica that has some of the most expensive housing stock, while it also has incredibly progressive housing affordability policy. The contradiction seems to be overcome by a highly connected, highly aware engagement with the context of practice. The challenge today,
2: maybe, to
1: realise the structure to imagine is not just that of the building but that of the extended place in which we live and work, and I'll extend that even further in the world. Everything is linked to something else.
0: As the day was ramping up to the final talk from Peter Rich, this interconnected, empathic worldview was also emerging as an important theme for students to reflect on. It almost could have been the last Congress in Melbourne called people that sought to confront similar ideas.
5: You just take the human dimension. If there's one thing that's come out of this conference, the human dimension. We design for people, we design aiming places, and we need to get off our pedestal. When I go into a community, I don't go in as the professor, I don't go in as the architect, I go in humbly to engage with people who've never been spoken to before, to listen from them and to learn. You don't have to philosophise about it. You can actually become the agent to actually getting off your butt and doing something about it.
0: At the end of the day, this was a refreshing wake-up call, and the talk was a really beautiful story. Wide-ranging, funny, challenging, and deeply personal. And deeply affecting for many students there. There's no way I could grapple with the complexity and variety of Peter's projects here. So to wrap up day one of agency, I'll leave you with Peter's closing remarks. 99.9% of our, our
5: DNA is the same. And we equal but the, the difference is what makes it so interesting. Makes it incredibly Okay? So, don't forget that. And don't forget, intuition drives what you do. Okay, don't be scared of your intuition. Your autobiography is who you are, because you have a history. And through that, you can do personal work, and you can do human work. And just be a good human being, and make places that are enabling and a pleasure to use. We all have to sleep, we all have to wash our bodies, we wash our clothes, and we eat. But the nuances of how we do that, are where the trick glass. And you are the interpreters of that. You're the magician that enable that
4: to happen in a
0: beautiful Day two of agencies scattered students across Sydney at a range of workshops. So I decided to visit Jed Long and Juan Pablo from Cave Urban, who presented some of their experimental work with bamboo construction. After that, we all got together and managed to casually build a hyperbolic paraboloid structure and then test it to failure in an incredibly safe way by climbing all over it. I caught up with Jed and we had a chat about the work. You've found agency through a material and a a kind of way of working. But it seems important to you guys that you transfer agency to others. And it's both through students and I guess community works through upskilling.
6: It's interesting because I think the process for us is trying to break away from traditional modes of architecture. So whether it's in the fact that we won't fully document a building and the people who are engaged with that process are actually enabled to insert their own design decisions and even if they're just very informal decisions where it's a process of how to place a certain pole or to you know, create a certain column, like, mm. the fact that everyone is able to feel their own sense of agency in engaging with the build process I think is very empowering. And it kind of pulls away from that traditional idea of the architect as this omnipotent force that kind of just wiggles their pen and suddenly there's an idea on the page.
0: Is there something you emphasise particularly with the students, like yeah. in your education programs?
6: Yeah, so I think for students, trying to open them up to different ideas. And, you know, it's great to see that Jeremy Till's talking, like Special Agency, like the introduction to that book is just such a beautiful idea of these alternate practices towards architecture and Mm. the fact that there's informal architecture that takes place every single day and that we don't celebrate the fact you know these different people involved in the creative process and so Mm. for us the ideas of what like a builder might think or a craftsman or a basket weaver from taiwan Mm. and their input being just as if not more valid than what we might have as our own kind of architectural preconceptions. So that intersection of art and architecture I think is vital to our practice. We, we know we go to an arts event and they see us as architects. We go to an architecture event, and they see us as artists. <laughs> um, yeah. And so existing within that gray area is really like liberating because we don't have to conform to any particular set requirements. And so it, you know, if you're working with an engineer, it's about how do you interpret what they're suggesting to you and kind of twist it to suit your own end game. And a lot of that comes out of understanding the material that you're working with. And so for us, the idea of the temporal is a way of liberating us away from the traditional constraints that might otherwise restrict what we can do. And it forces us to have to think about architecture in different ways. And so, you know, we might use bamboo, but it becomes a metaphor for much larger ideas around what does it mean to inhabit a space and what does it mean for architecture to only occupy a space for a short period of time?
0: I then skipped back out to help build our structure, where Juan Pablo and Quinn Narabel had managed to teach a dozen students to put this thing together within about an hour. After a bit of on-the-job learning, I was surprised how easy it seemed. I managed to ask Quinn about why this works so well.
6: Because it is so simple, and if you get so you can have one person to 50 people. If you get one skilled person to 50 unskilled people, the knowledge translation is so quick. And it's as easy as sitting people down with two pieces of bamboo, giving them a bunch of wires and a pair of wires and then just say, go for it for an hour. I'll come back in an hour, and if you've got it, then you can come and help me build the structure and I think that's the most amazing part of it. So I think like Cave Urban, what they're doing is amazing because they're so vocal and public with their stuff, like they're engaging with the universities, like the, my Utahs trip and then the University of Sydney trip and like it's all great because it's the next generation coming through.
0: With the morning workshop done, Congress regathered at the University of Sydney for the afternoon session that was themed Makers. International speakers Stacey Wong from New York and Virginia Sanfratello from San Francisco were paired with local practitioners Clinton Cole of C+C Architectural Workshop and Rob Beeson of Armour. The first pair, Stacey and Clinton, presented their respective approaches to being architect builders. It was another fascinating look at other practice models that we probably don't hear enough about. We'll start with Stacy's approach to architect-led design build or ALDB projects.
2: We basically have a team of architects. Every single person in the office is architects. Um, And even when we go out into the trailer and we're running things on site, there's still architects running things on site.
0: And what was particularly interesting about Stacy's practice, and it reminded me of a similar result that Pocket Living experienced, was that regulation had actually managed to change to adapt to this mode of project delivery
2: the new building department form, or the building department application that everybody has to fill out, and they added a new line, which is, is this project modular construction? And you have to actually check yes or no. And it goes to a different department to review. So, you know, for us, it was this exciting thing where we're like, okay, we're trying to figure this out. It's, It was um, unfortunate that we had to suffer this four-month delay, but what it ended up doing was um, changing something which we didn't think could be changed, changing something in the building department at New York City to allow a different type of construction. And for us, um, that was a a pretty meaningful thing.
0: Clinton offered a really insightful reflection on the architect-builder practice model. It was particularly informative about the range of practice arrangements that are possible, how they might actually work, and, very candidly, what the benefits and challenges of those might be. At times, the talk was a bit harrowing as Clinton put forward a range of troubling statistics on the profession, including a gender pay gap, low wages, long hours culture, and of course...
5: Extremely sadly, the uh, lowest uh, number of uh, registered Aboriginal professionals uh, of all the professions. So it's a pretty sad state of affairs.
0: Though it wasn't all doom and gloom, Clinton shared some beautiful work and the processes that C C++ employ. It was especially useful to critically rethink the relationship between architects and builders.
5: Uh, I guess an opportunity I've never I've, I've never understood why architects don't embrace, um, instead of going out to tender, getting a builder in early or even having the builder part of your team and pricing that with the client, working side by side to deliver what the client wants and ultimately that is a great design for the cost that they want.
0: The second session took a different approach to making, focusing more on how digital practices and novel uses of digital tools are impacting architectural practice. From San Francisco, Virginia San Fratello presented some striking speculative projects that interrogated the architecture of the border wall. These small, almost suburban projects that saw children on either side of the wall sharing a seesaw or a half-mown lawn that abutted a 20-metre militarised border They were quite cheeky, but at the same time, a short step away from being quite frightening. The second part of the presentation made quite a leap and focused on a range of exquisitely crafted objects that were 3D printed from repurposed and sometimes organic materials. Following Virginia, local architect Rob Beeson was a real highlight of the afternoon, with a compelling case of a radical but risky practice strategy That is proactively challenging mainstream methods of project procurement, project delivery and digital practices. So how does something like this emerge?
7: Coming out of other offices, I won't say which, and working 100 hours a week, literally averaging between 9 and 100 hours a week. I think I've done um, 25 all-nighters within five months, in more than one week. And uh, I think I was getting paid like 50 grand. But it was fantastic, we are working on good stuff, but you think, why, there's gotta be another way, right? So when we started the office, the, literally the question was, how as a young architect do you put yourself in a position where you can operate at a certain scale, in a certain environment, so in the city, For us.
0: So with that motivation in mind, Rob ran through the normal options. We teach at unis and develop competition projects, an approach he thought was so doomed, you may as well head to the casino or stay at a large office for a while, then break out on your own? Or maybe do your mum's house, your neighbour's house, and see where that goes. But Rob thought of another way.
7: What we have to do is create a Trojan horse. Instead of saying we're architects, let's pretend for a minute that we're not architects, or let's use our architectural education and knowledge to work on the other side of the fence, for contractors and subcontractors, and help them. In doing so, we'll build up a body of work and a capacity and capability to work on large commercial urban projects. And then, once we've done that for a number of years and we've passed as gatekeepers, we can jump out of the horse and say, hey, by the way, guess what? We're architects.
0: Of course, as Rob put it, there's always a chance you could just get stuck in the horse. But in the meantime, he did share some thought provoking advice for the future of digitised practices.
7: The future is start thinking about this idea of creating these virtual twins, a digital twin for the building, a digital manufacturing, a digital twin of the manufacturing facility, and a digital twin of site. And the idea is that each of these things is simulated before you actually go to construction, so that you know exactly what you're going to get, exactly how much it's going to cost, and exactly how long it's going to take. We're here to change the industry. I mean, that's really our mission, is to really change construction, change the way we design.
0: That concluded day two of Agency, hosted at the University of Sydney. The next morning, and final official day of Agency, would land at the University of Technology, Sydney, where Mel Bell Smith was our MC for the day, and introduced Catalyze as the theme of the day.
2: So what does it really mean to Catalyze? To cause or accelerate change by the addition of a catalyst, a person, a thing, or something similar, and that this catalyst is not permanently affected by this change
4: or reaction.
0: Mel argued that this last part might actually be problematic, that for architects, it can be hard not to be ultimately affected by these changes. Julian Boliter, based in Perth, started the session with a presentation on a recent publication, The Ghost Cities of Australia. This was a survey of speculative cities imagined across Australia as a proactive response to growing population. What will Melbourne be like at 10 million people? especially when the most livable cities in the world have less than 4 million. It was hugely ambitious work, but was also deeply problematic for its grating lack of acknowledgement of the first Australians occupying the spaces of those imagined cities. Agency concluded with two back-to-back keynotes from Jeremy Till and Yoshiharu Tsukamoto. Jeremy's talk, titled Education Otherwise, was a deftly crafted critique of architectural education, while Yoshiharu's talk was a remarkably thorough and intricate study of architectural elements. It was unfortunate in some ways that this subtle presentation came at the end of Congress, given the intensity of the program. So let's hope we can view this with fresh eyes when Agency released their documentation of the event. To wrap up this foray into Agency though, I'll finish with Jeremy Till's presentation that sought to unpack the rituals, codes, and systems of architecture, starting with the most prevalent and probably most famous, the crit.
8: If we are meant to be having a diverse, an open and engaging educational system, why does every single school of the architecture in architecture the world submit itself to this sole method of architectural criticism, completely because of the systems of power that the jury sets up?
0: The second he put forward was the problematic travelling studio.
8: They go for two weeks, so there's no in-depth learning. They'd have no idea about how to answer the question about indigenous rights in in Australia, if they came to Australia. They'd have no idea if they go to Valparaiso really what's going on within the, the, the city there. So there is an absolute sense in this travel of detachment, of not dealing with the here and now, of not dealing with the city that you know, not dealing with the people that you know, but always seeing architecture as a, as a place set part.
0: His next examples were a swathe of images of reviews that I'm sure we all can imagine. Predominantly men, predominantly white, you get the picture.
8: A lot of those examples are indeed historical, but the historical examples are still influencing the culture of architecture education. And therefore, the patriarchy of, of architecture education infects many of its codes and rituals. I do not believe that the jury would persist if the patriarchy wasn't still controlling the systems of architecture education.
0: The next image was another one we all know. A lineup of architects, and they're all wearing black.
8: This one's pretty obvious, isn't it? <laughs> You're quite colourful, you lot, actually, but um, certainly on the East Coast schools of architecture, there is... And actually, if you you boost it in black and white, it doesn't make much difference. (laughs) What this does is that it introduces architecture students into the notion of the tribe. You become part of a strange community who are set apart through their dress, through their codes, and through their rituals. Why in these places of innovation, imagination, creativity, and progressive thought do we allow ourselves to stick to these deeply conservative codes and rituals? And how does that happen? It happens because it's disguised under a thin veneer of
0: progress. So what are we left to do? Jeremy pointed to Anthony Giddens' four reactions to risk in society. Sustained optimism, pragmatic acceptance, cynical pessimism, and finally radical engagement. So what would that look like for architecture?
8: So in relation to architectural reactions, I'm trying to make this not just about neoliberal economy, what might that be? Well the sustained optimism is disease. <laughs> the second is probably the prevalent form of production, which is that of a pragmatic acceptance. Cynical pessimism, that's pretty much my Twitter feed. (laughs) And radical engagement is, of course, where we're going to go from here. And radical engagement, in a very, very uh, narcissistic way, is facial agency. The nice thing about agency, the word agency, in Gibbons' definitions and sensibility is that agency is very different from instrumental power. In instrumental power, you just impose. You have definite set values which you impose on the world. Whereas in agency, if you take this one, you are open to the world. You adjust your position in relation to the world. You can act otherwise. The work of architecture and the work of spatial production is always done with others. But how do you introduce others into architecture education? And this is a question which I'm not going to answer, by the way, Which is a question that needs to be asked the whole time. How do you, in a meaningful manner, introduce others? And if you have others, then you have to have ethics. What happens if, whenever you draw a line on a piece of paper, you start by thinking of that line that is describing a future social relationship? And then the final act is Act of Empowerment. And this is the act in a way that you need to take back to your schools, I would suggest. But don't get the heads of school to call me, call me a witch in your home. Um, uh, in as much as surely the act of education should be the act of empowerment, the empowerment of others, the empowerment of, of, of the students.
0: And that is it for Student Congress for another two years. And that is all for this episode. I'd like to thank the agency crew for inviting us along and for organising another challenging, incisive, and important event. We look forward to seeing what happens in Christchurch in two years. You've been listening to Architecture Insights, the podcast series produced by the New South Wales Architects Registration Board. You can find all our other episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. I've been your host, Brian Kinnear. Thank you so much for listening.